after Jesus resurrects, it tells us that he came and he met with James one-on-one. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He was an unbeliever. But then once he sees Jesus dead and resurrected and his ministry, he goes full throttle and fully into his walk and relationship with Jesus. He was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem there. And here he writes a letter that is very, very practical. It's very, very black and white. Some original church leaders thought it shouldn't be in the Bible because there wasn't enough faith or grace in it. And they didn't want it to be in God's word. But nonetheless, God has it here for us. We touched on the importance of our walk, our relationship with Jesus is based on faith. It's not based on works. It's not based on religion. It's not based on what we've done that now we deserve to have heaven. Our walk and relationship with God, it's through faith. Faith alone in Jesus Christ and the gift that he has given us. But now after we enter into this friendship and relationship, there has to be work. There has to be proof that we really have this relationship, that we really love him, we really care about him, that he really is a priority to us within our lives. And the first encouragement to us was to be strong and endure trials. Be strong and endure trials. And everyone's going to go through trials and we need to endure them. Not to be wishy-washy, not to be quick to give up, but we need to have that patience or that endurance to withstand trials. And we talked about it. The patience that God's word is telling us for trials, it's not sitting in the DMV or having to wait into a line to then wait into another line at the grocery store. The patience, the endurance it's talking about is the patience or the endurance that's needed to win a marathon. The patience or the endurance that's needed to win a five-round fight or a 12-round fight. That's the patience and endurance that we need and we need to stay in so that in verse 4 it tells us that it may have its perfect work. That we may be perfect and complete, enduring nothing. Verse 5, it tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Again, the Lord reminds us when we're in the midst of a trial, we should ask for wisdom. Lord, how should I deal with this? What's the right way to build? What's the right way to move within the current trial that I'm in? Lord, I don't want to sin against you. I don't want to be led into temptation. So, Lord, give me your wisdom. And then it tells us there that God gives us liberally and without reproach. That he doesn't have a tally and says, Zach, I warned you about this trial. I told you this trial was coming. And now you ask for my help? Right? Thank God that that's not the way that he treats us or speaks to us. But he says that he's willing to give us in an abundance and he's not going to hold it over our heads. But as that perfect father, he wants to give and give and give to us whenever we ask. Now we'll start off in verse 6. It tells us the way we should be asking is in, again, faith. We need faith first and then there's works that follow it. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now that word doubting, truly it's being translated as someone who is wavering. Someone who is wavering. Someone who goes back and forth. 
You can think of someone who's a flake or someone that's known as a waffler, right? They go back and forth. They flip and flop. And now verse 6 through 8, it gives us the true context of what God is saying here. So we should ask in faith with no wavering. For he who wavers is like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. There's a big time warning here for us. Because again, James is writing this book, this letter to a group of believers that are Hebrews. And he's warning them, hey, don't be a double-minded man. What does that mean? Literally, it's translated as someone who is double-souled. A double soul. Do not have a double soul because if you have a double soul, first and foremost, you're going to be unstable in all your ways. It tells us that you're going to be driven and tossed to and fro. You're not going to be settled. You're not going to be relaxed in the Lord and what he wants for us. It's the one soul that's directed towards God and yet it's directed to something else or what may convict us more and truly what it means is someone who has a soul for God and yet is unwilling to give up certain things on earth. This family is the double-minded man. It's someone who wants that walk and relationship with God but yet we are unwilling to give up certain things on this earth. And here it warns us that if we go that route we're going to be unstable. We're going to be tossed around. Can the ocean, can the lakes, can even the rivers or ponds hold themselves down when the wind kicks up? No. The wind starts and right away they start moving around, right? But now Jesus, he tells us if we hear his word and we do it, he says we'll be like a man who built his house on solid ground. That the wind will come, the waves will come. But the house won't get knocked down. The house won't get moved. Again, family, our mindset needs to be one track for the things of God. It's not even here speaking of a hypocrite. It's speaking of someone who is fickle. Again, that waffle, that flake. That one moment they want to give their all for the Lord. And the next moment they're giving in to sin and temptation. Or they're saying, Lord, I want to be here for you. But... I need to live a little longer and live out my life and then I'll come to you, right? We have those examples that Jesus gave us of people that said, hey, I want to be your disciple. But first, let me live and grow up. And then once my dad passes away, I'll come and I'll follow you. Hey, Jesus, let me come and follow you. But wait, I have a couple business transactions I want to do. Let me make some money, have a certain amount in the bank, and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus tells us we can't if that's the way we're planning on living. James chapter 4 verse 8, it gives us greater insight into this double-minded man. James chapter 4 verse 8. We'll start in verse 6. It tells us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, 
and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, it warns us here about being double-minded. Verse 8, it's warning us that if we are about the things of this world, we can't be about the things of God. We will be that double-minded man. And now the greater warning was in chapter 1 that tells us we can't expect that God is going to give us anything or do anything for us or give us the wisdom from on high if we are that double-minded man. If you're here and you're worried, man, am I that double-minded man? God's word is so great. It's so gracious. He gives us the answer how to get out of being that double-minded man. First and foremost, submit to God. Put your faith and trust in God and in God's word. Secondly, resist the devil. Fight sin. Fight temptation. And sooner or later, he will flee from you. Verse 8, we continue. How do we stop being a double-minded man? Draw near to God and he's going to draw near to you. Spend more time in God's word. Spend more time in teaching. Spend more time with other godly men and women. Now what's the next thing we need to do? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. We need to cleanse our lives. What are the sins we're holding on to? There's a cleansing that we must go through. We must seek the Lord. He's going to convict us if we're drawing near to him. And he's going to reveal to us the way that we need to cleanse ourselves through him and through his word. But we need to be cleansed. Next it tells us to purify our hearts. Lord, purge those sins away from me. Lord, purge the love for this world away from me. And that will protect us from being that double-minded man or woman. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, it tells us the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The King James Version, it tells us the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light. Family, we need to be single-minded. Our eyes need to be focused on one specific thing. You can think of Hebrews and how it tells us to run after Jesus, right? The author and finisher of our faith. We're supposed to be focused on him and him alone. On his example and on what God's word tells us. Family, may we not be that double-minded man. That man that goes back and forth between God and sin cannot expect God's blessing or God's wisdom in their life. Because he's not being obedient to the number one rule of wisdom from the Lord, which is to flee from sin. If you go to Job chapter 8 verse 28, that's right before the book of Psalms, Job chapter 28 verse 28. Super important verse for us to know. Job chapter 28, we'll start in verse 27. It tells us, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it indeed. He searched it out. And to man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. You want wisdom in this life? You want understanding in this life? Fear the Lord. Respect God above everything else. Our decisions, the things we do and don't do should be based upon, Lord, 
will this bring you honor and glory? Or as we'll see later on how we fight temptation is, Lord, I love you so much, I want to be obedient to you. Lord, I love you so much, I don't want to hurt you. That's how we seek that wisdom. And then secondly, departing from evil is understanding. Where do we get what's good and what's evil? From the first step, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what determines what is good and what is evil, family. It's not me. It's not you. It's not your spouse. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not TV talk shows. It's definitely not athletes or people in the arts. What determines good or evil is God and his word. So we go back to James chapter 1. And he continues, the first part, and it'll end right now, he speaks about trials. How do we handle trials? We go through it, we endure it, we stay in it, we wait for God, and we pray and ask for wisdom, having that singular mind. Now he's going to talk a little bit more, a couple of nuggets of wisdom, and then he's going to speak about temptation. Where does temptation come from? How do we handle it? How do we get through it? But verse 9 through 11, before we get into temptation, he tells us, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in all his pursuits. If you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, these three verses, it seems as if they were pulled straight from the book of Proverbs. And uh, some scholars, they say James is the book of Proverbs within the New Testament. But here what James is telling us is that death and trials are the great equalizer. Death and trials are the great equalizer. When death comes knocking on your door, he doesn't pause to say, hey, what's your 401k? What's your balance in the bank? Do you have any student loans? No, when death comes, that's it. There's no questions asked. And now it doesn't matter if you're the poor man or the rich man, death is going to come. And at that moment, the only thing that matters is if you have that friendship and relationship with God. Same is true of trials. Rich man, poor man, it'll affect you the same way if your kids no longer want to have a relationship with you. Rich man or poor man, when your spouse says they want a divorce, it's going to affect you the same way. If you're a rich man, it may affect you more, right? If you didn't get a prenup, it's going to affect you even more so. You come down with a sickness, you get COVID, you get cancer, you get a tumor. It's going to affect you. And that's why our primary identity needs to be in the Lord. Not in our 401k. Not in our bank account. Our identity needs to be in the Lord. Because if we're in that poor man, why do we glory in our exaltation of death? Because we're going to see Jesus. And we're going to be in perfection. And how can the rich man glory in his humiliation? Because when he passes away, he's going to be in heaven. So again, everything is settled upon do you have that friendship and relationship with Jesus. The end of verse 11, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it gives us here who the 
true rich man really is. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, Jesus tells us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a great thermometer for us to see, Lord, where am I truly at in my relationship with you? Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Again, where is our heart? That's going to reveal to us truly, is my treasure in God and in heaven? Or have I laid all my treasures only in this earth? Because if all my treasures are here in earth, then you're not going to glory in your exaltation or in your humiliation. You're going to be freaked out because, again, family, when death comes knocking, only one thing is important. That you have a friendship and relationship with Jesus Christ. We continue verse 12. It tells us, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So now James, he changes gears here in chapter 1 to focusing on temptation. Another key common thing we see here with trials, it wasn't if trials happen to you, but it was when trials happen to you. And here with temptation, it's the same thing. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. Family, everyone will go through temptation. Everyone will go through temptation. And oftentimes when we're faced with a trial, if we don't handle it in the wisdom of God, Satan will come and he'll bring out that temptation and you may fall for it. But we'll see where temptations really come from. Key thing for us to know within our belief and trust within the Bible is that temptation alone is not sin. Temptation alone is not sin. There's some people within Christianity, they try to make it impossible to be a believer with Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, hey, if you even have temptation, you're in sin. We know that Jesus himself, he was tempted after not eating for 40 days, right? Talk about being hangry, right? He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And then Satan comes to tempt him. And Jesus gives us the perfect prescription for how do we handle temptation. How did he handle it? With the word of God and with faith in what the word of God says and faith in who God truly is. Family, that's how we overcome temptation, by truly believing, hey, what the Bible says is true and real. That's what matters. That's what's important. How do we overcome temptation? And believing, God, you are who you really say you are. You love me. You care for me. You want to be a perfect father, a perfect big brother. Lord, you tell me the best is yet to come for me. And that's not just some corny slogan. No, Lord, you actually mean that. That's how we get through temptation. We are to be more than conquerors. We are to fight those temptations. We are to fight as if our lives depend on it. Because family, they do. Your life depends on you fighting those temptations. Your wife, your husband, their lives depend on you fighting those temptations. 
your kids, your grandkids. I tell the young adults and the youth all the time, your future spouse, your future kids, their lives depend on you fighting those temptations now. On saying no to sin, to sexual sin, to abuse, to drug abuse, to gambling, to all these different shortcuts. Our lives and the lives of our family, their lives depend on us fighting through these temptations. And now I will say, if you find yourself constantly being tempted with the same temptation, maybe you're giving allowance for this temptation. And then you are in sin. Right? Man, how did I get to the liquor store again? It's crazy. Temptation just comes. No. There are many people that Satan is like, eh, now they got it. They're doing a great job. You just keep doing what you're doing. And then you have to be careful. But temptation alone is not sin. And when temptation comes, we should fight through it. We need to endure with that same endurance. That marathon. That battle. That fight. We need to endure it. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, we get such an important scripture for us. Again, from Jesus himself. He wants to speak to us. He was speaking here to the churches in Revelation. Last book in your Bible. Revelation chapter 2. He's writing to the church of Smyrna. A church that has gone through persecution, right? Trials and temptations. And we'll start in verse 9. It tells us, right, this is... This should be such an encouragement for us. Jesus, he tells us the same thing. Hey, write your name in there. Zach, I know your works. I know your tribulation, your poverty. But hey, you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they're Jews and are not. But they are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Family, this is how we get through these trials, right? And God's word, I'm grateful that it's so black and white. You will go through temptations. You will go through trials, right? Talk about good news. Jesus, how in the world is this good news, right? Don't fear. You're about to suffer. You're going to get thrown into prison by Satan himself. You're going to be tested. You're going to have tribulation. Be faithful until death. Jesus, where's the good news in this? And then he tells us, when we're faithful... We're going to have the crown of life. We should hear what the Spirit says and we should be overcomers. If we're an overcomer, we shall not be hurt by the second death family. Do not fear. In this season, are you fearful? Or should I say, have you allowed fear, right? The temptation of fear comes. Do you grasp it and own it and live your life on it? Or do you endure and push it away? And now you go to what God's word says and you say, Lord... I'm going to stand on your word. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to follow you. Today in my devos, I was reading about Jonathan. And he gets his armor bearer and he says, hey, let's go into the camp of our enemy and go and fight them. And they're on the high ground, right? Our walk with the Lord, we are not to be fearful. We're not to be groveling and so concerned with the things of this world that we are paralyzed by fear. We are to be overcomers. The next thing it tells us there is that we are to be faithful. 
We are to be faithful day in and day out. Be faithful. Right? How good is your marriage if your wife is faithful to you 98% of the time, right? Honey, what are you doing the other 2% of the time, right? No, it's okay in our marriage if I'm unfaithful 2%, 5%, 10%. No, you want 100%. And the Lord, he wants the same from us. The next thing we're to do is hear the Spirit. We should be listening for the Lord, for that still, small voice. And most of the time, we hear it through his word. And finally, it tells us to overcome. Overcome. Do not be overcome by this world. Do not be pushed into the mold of this world. But overcome this world. Do not fall to temptation. Do not give in to temptation. But overcome the temptation. That's how we're supposed to live. And family, it is worth it to endure. It's worth it. Does anyone who, get, who finishes a marathon, do they say, oh, man, I wish I would have quit. I wish I would have given up back there, right? Somebody finishes their five, five rounds, they're dead, they're exhausted, they're bleeding. What do half of the guys say? Hey, if you want to do it, we'll run it again, right? That's what they say. They don't say, man, I should have given up. I should have quit. I would have made the same amount of money. Family, it's worth it to endure. Remember, there is a crown awaiting us if we endure. There is a crown that Jesus himself will give to us if we do not give up hope. Family, look to the finish line. Get that second wind and go with the Lord. Fight through it. I got to be a youth pastor for many years and it's such a blessing. But this just reminds me, we used to take these 20, 24-hour trips to a camp in Virginia. 24-hour trip to Virginia, 55 different people on the bus. And there's the same common thing that always happens in road trips, right? I have to go to the bathroom, right? That's always a common thing in road trips. And hopefully none of you parents get mad at me. But we would have just stopped at the bathroom. And 30 minutes later, one of the kids, I have to go to the bathroom. So what do I do? Do I stop the bus and take a week to get to Virginia? No, that's not what we do, right? I tell them, hey, wait 15 more minutes. That's what I tell them. Maybe I, maybe I was lying. Maybe I got to ask the Lord for forgiveness. But I tell them, wait 15 more minutes, right? And then they wait. It's been 30 minutes. And then they say, Zach, I really have to go to the bathroom. Wait 10 more minutes, right? You wait another 30 minutes. They forgot. They come in 30 minutes later. Some of you kids are like, oh, now I know what happened, right? Another 10 minutes later, Zach, I'm dying. I'm going to go. The exit's five miles away, right? And it was amazing. They thought they couldn't hold it for 15 minutes. But as long as you tell them, hey, five more minutes, 10 more minutes, 20 more minutes, they could wait two hours, four hours. It's incredible. It's incredible. And that's what the Lord is telling us. Hey, just endure a little longer. Zach, I know that temptation right now. I know it's brutal. I know you died. I know you think you're going to explode on yourself. But Zach, endure. Endure. I know you think that guy is amazing, that girl is amazing. Zach, endure. I know you think this sketchy business transaction is going to be amazing. Zach, endure. 15 more minutes. 10 more minutes. Get through it. James chapter 1 and verse 12, it gives us the key of those who will endure temptation. Right? We get a lot of questions in the season. We went through the book of Hebrews talking about people who live in a question mark, people who are saved, not saved, half saved. Right? What does it all really mean? 
James chapter 1, verse 12, the end of it gives us just a great insight. It tells us he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. How do we endure those trials? Love the Lord. Love the Lord. Do you actually love God? Right? There comes a point when we're faced in temptation. There was a point when I kept giving into sin that I had to realize I can't say I love God more than my sin if I'm always giving into my sin. I have to be real. I have to be honest because I'm not going to get any better. I love sin more than God. And it's only until we come into that part we're going to see soon. That's the only way we're going to overcome sin. Right? Some of us, we're trying to work out. Man, I've been trying to get healthy for the last 10 years. I, I really want to work out. I really want to be healthy. If we're honest, no. What we really want is the cookie. We want the cookie more than being healthy. Because the fruit of our lives shows, right? The fruit of our life shows we love the cookie more than being healthy. And if our life is constantly a life of sin, the reality whether we like it or not, the truth is that we love the sin more than we love the God that sent his only begotten son to die for me in my sins. That's the truth. We can sugarcoat it. We can candy coat it. We can say, no, God, I really love you. But that's not the truth. You speak to a woman that her husband has cheated on her and he says, honey, I love you. I'm sorry for what I did, but I still love you. Are you going to be able to really have that conversation with that woman? Or she's going to say, you don't love me. If you would have loved me, you would have shown through your actions that you loved me more than the other woman. And family, that's how we endure. Remind yourself, man, do I love the Lord? Do I really love him? And it's not all based on our muscle, our muscle of love. Again, we can cry out to God in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptation, and ask him for his wisdom. But those people who will be in heaven... Are those who truly love God. Those are the people that are going to be in heaven. Not the people that love their sin. Right? We looked at the double-minded man. Not the person that says, hey God, I love you, but I want to hold on to my sin. That's not going to be the person in heaven. The person who will endure and get that crown of life are those who love him. Period. End of sentence. And now verse 13, it goes right into it, right? I love James, super black and white. He goes right for a heart, right for the cocotazo, right? Verse 13 and 14, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Family, it's super important for us to know our enemy, the way our enemy acts. It's so important to know the things that are going to poison us and kill us, right? We should know that in this season. Temptations, where do temptations come from? Look in the mirror, right? I was tempted to make everybody bring their phone out and put on the camera and put on the selfie camera, right? That's where temptations come from. Our temptations, our sins, they don't come from our spouses, they don't come from our nation. They come from that man in the mirror. And to be completely honest, this is the first step in truly overcoming sin. What's the first step in truly overcoming sin? Owning it. Own your sin. Why? Because you actually do. 
You actually own your sin. When you sin, you can't pin it on God. can't pin it on your wife. You can't pin it on your kids. And since Adam and Eve, we pass the blame. We're all prone to pass the blame. Man, I am who I am because my parents, they were too nice to me. Man, I am who I am because my parents, they were too mean to me, right? No, I sin, I give in to this because my parents had too much money. I sin, I give in to this because my parents didn't have enough money, right? I, I'm a sinner, I give in to this because of this heritage. I did this because my spouse did that. I did this because, man, the guy cut me off, so I had to do this. Family, if we really want to overcome sin, I did that because I wanted to do that. That's it. James, he's, he's right to the point. When we give in to sin, it's us, family. They come from ourselves. It comes from our own hearts. It comes from our own temptations. We can't blame it on God. We can't say, hey, God, why did you allow this or why did you allow that? We've seen men and women throughout the whole Bible overcome temptation. Right? You think of Joseph. His brothers left him for dead. They sold him into slavery. He's a young buck. He's a teenager. And Potiphar's wife, Potiphar is a rich, powerful man. If we're honest, rich, powerful men, usually they have really beautiful wives, right? Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph repeatedly saying, let's have sex. Let's sleep together. Let's sleep together. Let's sleep together. And yet this young man, away from his family, Lord, I fell into sin because I was all by myself. This man, completely alone, in another country, in a foreign language, was willing to run away, leaving his clothes, and yet run away to flee from sin and temptation. Family, God, he always gives us a way out. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start in verse 12. It tells us, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Family, each and every one of us, whatever we're going through, whatever trial, whatever temptation we're going through, there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of people Struggling with the same trial. Struggling with the same temptation. You're looking at another person that you're not married to. Hey, there's millions of people struggling with the same thing. You're struggling with your health. There's millions of people struggling with the same thing. You're struggling with money, with this. There are millions of people struggling with the same thing. And you know what I've also seen? There are testimonies of people that have been able to overcome every type of sin. And now they're on fire for the Lord. Because they owned their sin. They said, hey, I believe in God, right? I fear God, and now I run from evil. God says, this is evil, so I ran from it. Now I'm following him. I'm seeking him. I'm cleansing my hands. I'm allowing him to purify my heart. And I've never been happier. I've never had more joy. I was able to overcome pornography. I was able to overcome a divorce. I was able to overcome drinking this relationship. I was able to overcome being molested as a child. I was able to overcome being a homosexual. I was able to overcome every sin that anyone on planet earth has dealt with. There is a believer that through Jesus Christ, they were able to overcome it. 
Again, family temptations, where do they come from? Our own hearts. And God always provides us with the way out. We go back to James chapter 1. And verse 14, it gives us the progression. It says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. I don't know how many of you are into fishing. But here when it says that he is drawn away by his own desires, it's speaking of a fishing lure. So where does temptation come from? There are fishing lures, right? Not actual fishing lures. But there are sinful lures that arise from our own heart. So that lure is there. It's something we're drawn to. Again, if we're honest, each of us, we struggle with kind of the same sin and we struggle with it for a long season. The guy that's prone to anger and fighting, that's what he struggles with. The person that's prone to making himself be alone and cut out everyone else from their family and be depressed, that's what they struggle with. So that lure is there, but now when we are drawn away by that lure, we begin to see how shiny it is or how pretty it is. We like the action, the zigzag. Then when it speaks of being enticed, it's Satan who sets the hook. That's a fishing term. The lure is there, and now all of a sudden, Satan sets the hook, and now you've fallen into sin. But the lure, right, it's crazy. We should hate sin and Satan even more. He gets us from our own lures. We provide the lure, Satan sets the hook, right? What kind of a crazy fish provides his own lure, right? But just like the animal kingdom, they struggle with the same things. How do you hunt an animal or catch a fish? You make it look like their food or you make it look like a woman, right? That's the two ways that you get fish or animals. You make it look like food or you make it look like a woman by their eyes, right? Family, we need to not be drawn away by our own desires. It goes back to being a one-focused person. When we're drawn away to our desires, that's the double-minded man coming in. And when the double-minded man comes in, we're drawn away to our lures. And then Satan, he'll set the hook. But if we stay on track, if we stay on focus, man, there's going to be less temptation in our life. And the Lord, no matter what, is going to provide a way out of that temptation. I wrote down, the more our desires line up with God's desires, the weaker those temptations will become. The more we align our will to God's will, then our desires are not to go and do sin or go and be lazy. Our desires is to further the kingdom of heaven. And if you're drawn away by those desires, those are good desires. I believe the King James Version, it says they're lust. And you can lust for good things and bad things. You can lust after the Lord and knowing God's word and being the best spouse ever. You can lust after being the best worker you could be. Those are good things. But now if you're lusting after another woman, another man, money, power, those are bad things to lust after. Family, again, remember, temptation, it's, it's in me. Don't be drawn away by those lures. Stay focused on the Lord. And now it tells us in verse 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Again, the progression, the lure is in our heart. Satan sets the hook. And now when that desire and that temptation is given into, it's conceived. And just like a baby, the moment it's conceived, it's conceived. 
You can do other evil things to destroy it later on, but that baby's there. Same is true of our sin and temptation. When we give in, family, it gives birth to sin right away. Right? Again, that animal, he was looking for a meal. He was looking for a mate. And it cost them their life. It cost them their life. That's the way we should be looking to sin. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it gives us an insight into Satan, into our enemy. What does our enemy think? What is his plan? What are his goals? Again, important things in business or in the battlefield, in sports. What is my enemy thinking? What is my enemy trying to accomplish? John chapter 10, verse 10 it tells us the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come. Right? Jesus has come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Again, family, God's word is black and white. It shows us Satan's plan for your life. If you give in to that lure, if you give in to sin, it's going to accomplish one thing and one alone. And that is death. And death, I had never seen it before. Death, all it really means is separation. It's just a separation. We have our physical death, right? Where our soul and spirit, they are separated from our body. We're born into life being separated from God. But now there is the death. That if we don't have a walk and friendship and Jesus Christ for all of eternity when we die, right? It speaks of the second death. We'll be separated from God for all of eternity. Again, family, we need to be careful with sin. Be careful for temptation. Remember, it gives birth to sin. And when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. Normally, we don't mess around with things that mean instant death, right? Oh, there's just a little bit of rat poisoning in my arroy frijoles. It's all good, right? Just a tiny bit. It's not that bad, right? It's not that bad. It's just a little bit of death. Come on. I, I could eat it. I think I'll be good. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Right? I always say dumb things like that all the time. Family, don't play with sin. Don't play with temptation. Treat it as death. Treat it as a thief that's wanting to come and steal from you, and kill you, and destroy your family. Right? I don't see many videos where a thief comes with a gun drawn, and the guy says, oh, maybe he wants to talk about something, right? Maybe he's trying to show me if he has a Glock or a Six Hour. Maybe that's what he's trying to show me. Let me, let me check it out. How, what's the caliber? How many rounds are in there? No. When someone comes for your life or for your family's life, you run or you fight. That's the same way we need to treat sin, family. We need to run or we need to fight. Then verse 17 and 18, it tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Here what he's telling us is family, trust in God, not your sin. Family, trust in the word of God, not what the world will tell us. Because every good gift, every perfect gift is from God. If you're living a life of sin trying to get something good, 
It's not going to happen. Good only comes from one place, and that's from heaven, from being in that relationship with God, being in that friendship with God. If we go about sinful things, it will never bear forth good fruit or good gifts. And now it tells us here, there is no variation or shadow of turning in who God is. So we remember this. Okay, God cannot change. He's not going to turn. And then in verse 18, it tells us of his own will, his own will, his own plan. He's the one that brought us forth through God's word that we would be his first fruits. The only reason we can have a friendship and relationship with God is because of God. He paid for the gift. We accept it. We live in it. And now if our relationship with our perfect father who can never change, who's never going to two-time us, who's never going to all of a sudden become, right, a dark Lord Sith. That's not what God can become. He is good for all of creation, for all of eternity. He is perfect for all of eternity, for all of our 40 years on this world, 100 years on this world. Hey, maybe you beat Guinness Book of World Records, 130 years on this world. If he can never change... Trust in him. Trust in him. Trust in the word of God. He's the one that brought us into salvation. It was his doing and his plan. And if that was the first fruit, if that was our first taste of God, remember, family, he saves the best for last. He saves the best for last. Continue to walk with him. Continue to walk in his word. And he's going to give you more And more as each season progresses. You ask someone who has that healthy relationship with God after 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. And they'll tell you, man, this has been the most fruitful year with the Lord. This year, it's been the best. I've been through a few seasons of life, right? 32 years of life. But man, each season gets better and better. That's why he trusts in the Lord. He is our perfect father. Jesus is our perfect Big brother, trust in him. He's the best. He's perfect. He is a good and perfect father. And he's never going to change. He is a good and perfect king. And that's never going to change. He's seated on the throne of heaven and earth and of this universe. And that's never going to change. He wrote God's word. And that's never going to change. So trust in him. Live in him and in his word. Verse 19, it tells us, so then... My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Again, this should somewhat be comforting, right? The first church within Jerusalem, a couple years, a couple decades after Jesus dies and resurrects, what's the first thing they need to hear? What's one of the things they need to hear? Hey, be quick to listen and be slow to speak. I know there's, no, there's none of us that struggle with that, right? None of us struggle with foot and mouth syndrome, right? Or saying dumb things or slow to wrath. How many of us, we are quick to anger, We're quick to being frustrated, even in spiritual things. We deal with prodigals, with unbelievers, and we're quick to wrath. But we need to remember verse 20. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sometimes kids, 
They really do need the fear of God, right? They need to have the fear of God put into them, right? But that's not the only way that they're going to come to the Lord. Got to have that love, that kindness, that mercy. That's how we affect someone. It's through the love and kindness of God. It's not hitting them over the head, telling them how they're a sinner every single day. They need to know that. That's the first part of coming to salvation with God is you're saying, hey, I am a sinner. Adam, he sinned, and he's my great, 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 as many times as you want to say it, grandfather. So after him, each and every one of us were born into sin. So I was born separated from God, and now I need to come to God, come to Jesus, saying, Lord, I am a sinner. I have done wrong. You are perfect. You are righteous. You are God, and you sent your son to die, taking my sin and resurrecting so I can live with you and freedom. And that's how we're saved. So that's important. But now our whole relationship with someone should not always be telling them what they're doing is wrong. That shouldn't be our entire relationship with them. Again, that will not produce the righteousness of God. 